Hello. Welcome to the future. <laughs> the year of our Lord 2020. Fuck. We don't <laughs> We don't have flying cars, but uh podcasts are pretty popular. So that was that's what we're doing now instead of being in flying cars. Um this is our official relaunch of To The Table. I'm calling it To The Table Plus. You'll find it here on Disney Plus. Red Spotlight Plus. Red Spotlight Plus, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. This is the first one of the new millennia. It's not the millennia, <laughs> right? The decade? It's a fucking decade. <laughs> the decade, sorry. <laughs> Millennia sounds so much more interesting. Um, As if we had a hundred years left of existence, but okay. Yeah, that's true. Not humans, anyway. Um, so this is to the table. This is this was a show that I officially announced um, in 2017, <laughs> or we planned to do all the way back then. I can't remember. Alexis, when did I tell you we were going to do this? It must have been. Uh, 2017 was the year that I think I vote. I most vividly recall doing that show. We haven't done this in about a year because you know we've we've all have busy lives and we also do several other fucking podcasts um, on the Red Spotlight channel. So I definitely want to say it was 2017 when we last did it regularly, and we had been talking about bringing this back for some time, but always it always kind of got in the way of it. Um, I know that before you had decided to officially bring this back in 2020, the last you and I made mention of uh, films that we actually bothered to see was what we're doing today. In fact, was a, a we were keeping a promise that we made all the way back in 2018, believe it or not. <laughs> um, yeah. So this will be the first and last of the... Uh... To the table episodes in which we share a film with the other that the other has not seen. Um, mm -hmm. Because it became kind of difficult, I will say. Um, so, for this relaunch, um, starting next week, I will give Kyle a film that he has never watched, and then we'll discuss it. And then Alexis, and then Kyle, and then Alexis, and it'll rotate every Friday. And yeah, it'll be fun. I developed this as a way to stop talking <laughs> about Marvel and Star Wars. Um, Except for the fact, because uh, I know people like to uh, throw this out there. We yes. haven't really talked about, um, well, Star Wars up until well, last Star month Wars, because yeah. a movie came out. But if we haven't talked about Marvel in our regular podcast in a number of months at this point. To be fair, it's been a while since a Marvel film has been out too. Yeah, but there's usually all these fucking like Marvel news. I don't oh, know if it's true. just if it's just you and I's um just tiredness of talking about it, but we found other stuff to talk about. We haven't had an, an actual news heavy show on Red Spotlight since I want to say mid October. Yeah, cuz all the news is kind of depressing. Um but with this relaunch, I hope to share more films with Mr. Soto and Mr. Lira that they... Um, I'll just say real quick, you've made some really uh, wonderful picks for this month. 
uh, which you'll discuss right now with what you're, you're, you're having themes now, apparently. Yes. But, oh, yeah. Uh, that's want, another part. <laughs> I want people to understand though, the, the difference in not just the format, but the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the show first launched, um, someone thought that realistically, even though some people, you know, said otherwise, that it could be done by having two episodes a week, every week. Of course, that was not at all ever sustainable. So if I'm not mistaken, Peter, that the schedule is every Friday, once a week now. Yes. And it's not, it's every other week for you. It's every week for me, but every Mm -hmm. other week for you. And again, to just keep it more manageable. So it'll average around to like, they need to watch about two films a month or whatever. I tried, I understand everyone has busy lives. So I tried to make it more manageable. And realistically, I've probably already seen the film if I'm sharing it with you guys. So, again, more manageable for me if I'm be doing this every week. Um, oh, yeah. And then we started doing themes because, I don't know, I thought it was cute, you know? Helps, <laughs> helps me narrow down what I should share. So... Wait, I want I want to say something real quick. This is the most work you've done, I think, at all uh, for any of the podcasts. Like you really went out of your way to create themes, um, which is crazy. Yeah. Although, ironically, it does fit in particular with the month of January because we're we do have, I think, impending chaos on the horizon. If you know. Yes, the twenty twenty elections are upon us. Thank God, have mercy on us all. Um, so because of that. I have decided to make January political dystopia month. Yay. Woo. Especially with the, like the year 2020. That's so futuristic sounding. It really is. I love it. We're all going to die. Um, so with this first episode of the decade, yes, the decade, um, we are going to be sharing the films Alexis gave me, which I had not seen, was Fahrenheit 11.9, his which... liberal propaganda. <laughs> and I gave him Idiocracy, mainly because I felt like they went together somewhat at the time. And now they very much go together with the rest of the month we're talking about, but especially this episode as well. So I need yeah. to add... <laughs> when I When I gave you this movie, though, Peter... Uh... I believe Fahrenheit 11.9 was still in theaters. Yes, that's so, true. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Was it in theater? I don't think it was in theaters here, was it? No, of course not. I saw oh, it in yeah. D.C. I mean, <laughs> that's, which is a, that's, 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 that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> that's just perfect, right? Yeah. Okay. So Alexis Abraham Rodriguez Soto. That's not my name. Okay. Agree to disagree. Why did you give me the film Fahrenheit 11.9 to watch? I Well, there's really no shortage of reasons why I gave you this movie. Um, mostly because uh, a oh, lot wait. of... Yeah. You want to read off the synopsis of what this movie is? Yeah, I forgot to do that. We, can, yeah. we can't forget our sponsors. We can't. We can't obviously do that. Um, the film directed by Michael Moore, which um, I had known about for quite some time, you know, in the political scene, but not really seen um, any of his movies beforehand. So 
This is really embarrassing. I'm having trouble finding it because I can't spell Fahrenheit. <laughs> uh, well, can you spell Michael Moore? And then you can just look at his uh, filmography and then it'll be the most recent one that pops up. Um, but no, he, Michael Moore to me has always been a um, interesting political voice. Um, and some radical things that he says, I feel very much align with my radical views on where um, certain politics and sensibilities need to go. Um, and I'll just say that after having watched this movie, I've gone back and seen other movies of his, like Capitalism Love Story, which, Ooh, you know. That was a good one. <laughs> it was. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Fahrenheit 11.9, directed by Michael Moore. <laughs> Tyrant. Liar. <laughs> racist. A hole in one. Michael Moore's provocative documentary explores the two most important questions of the Trump era. How the fuck did we get here? And how the fuck do we get out? Which, ironically enough, are the single most important questions of the the presidency that our mainstream media is failing to even address, much less um, give any kind of substance as to how you know why those questions would be the most important. There's a couple of things that I feel um, need to be said about this. I gave you this film mainly because your politics very much align with mine. And I I walked into the movie because, I mean, fuck it. I wanted to see what, what he had to say. And um, we can't really um, have a interesting and or substantive discussion on this movie without getting into our personal politics, which will be a theme, especially for political dystopia month. Um, and that's just going to be uh, something that people are going to have to live with in that. And uh, I know people don't like to uh, listen to political diatribes. I quite frankly think you should, because I feel that those are some of the most fascinating discussions. Are you calling them snowflakes? I never used that word because it would imply that those people have minds anyway the thing is this um and uh when i say those people it's definitely up for interpretation although i feel those that know me best would know who i'm attacking at that point um not the people they call snowflakes anyway um i saw the film and i was blown away by it because it it, it, it confirmed to me anyway what I felt most about the onset uh, and the aftermath of 2016. And it really, to me anyway, made the case that much greater for how our political institutions and our journalism institutions have failed this country and why the American people have consistently been failed. And kind of, to me... This film is the embodiment of where America is right now, which is not in very good terms, not in a, in a high regard at all when you consider all of the situations. So the politics in this film, it's very fair to say, speak to me. Not they, they sing to my sensibilities, and I'm sure to yours as well. Um, and that's just kind of how it is. And to me, it was refreshing to have someone just kind of lay it all out there. And yes, there are um, points in the movie where it gets to 
the point of ridiculousness and there are some comparisons that people might find to be a bit too much or a bit too brash or, you know, just dumb. But for the most part, to me, uh, it embodies most of my anger and my frustration and my disgust at the political establishment uh, in our society and why they, at the core of everything, is what's wrong um, with America and why they're failing all of us. And I think, and I thought that giving you this film, it wouldn't necessarily give you anything new um, that you didn't already think, but it would be at least an interesting, entertaining watch. Mm-hmm. Um. Fuck you. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I did God. not want to watch this film when you gave it to me. Why is I that? I was very angry that you made me watch this film. Because this was at the height of, and we'll see how the next election goes, arguably the height of the Trump presidency. Yeah. It was very much all doom and gloom. And... You made me want to just sit there and relive it. And if you remember back in 2016, I feel like I was one of the very few people who's like, oh, holy shit, this guy's going to win. Yeah, like, you were. He's going to win. And it mm-hmm. scared the crap out of me. Like, yeah. I watched news constantly. I was looking at polls constantly. And I was like, guys, this is spooky. Like, he has a real fucking chance. Um, so I lived every moment of that. And then you're like, oh, here's a film. Go ahead and relive it. Yeah, like, don't act as if I didn't, like, completely, you know, fall to pieces that day either. When you woke up on election morning, how did you feel? Oh, it was, it was. Were you in denial? <laughs> Were you optimistic? Were you, like, so-so? How did you feel? Like, I don't know. I've seen a lot of politics. And maybe because this was, like, the first election I was ever actually able to participate in. Um, like yeah. voting wise, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh no, like this was the first political anything that made me like genuinely feel sick. Like, God, like this is disgusting. People will die more so than, than already do in the regular political The election process. results, you mean, obviously. Yeah. I'm talking about the, uh, how I felt after the election results. Yeah. Because well, you happened, said you couldn't get out of bed the next day. Oh, my God. Because to me, it's like, for sure, Obamacare is gone. For sure, DACA's fucked. You know, and then that's not to add to, like, other... Because he's very much a loose cannon. The other shit that he might enact um, around the world. And he very much has done some pretty bad shit. Well, I mean, um, we should say the president then. just got impeached, so there's that. He did um, get impeached. That's why I said at that point, it was like the height of his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, just in general, it's like, you know, you look throughout history and then you look now and it's like, it feels like every generation comes up and it's like, yes, we, we can do it. This is our time. We're going to change course. And then course doesn't change, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, God, you know, you, the next generation, young people, like, you know, we can do it. We can change course. You know, we can. And then it doesn't happen. Um, and it felt like, oh, like, this is my generation's moment. 
Well, Peter, it felt like the world ended, you know, not not to be too dramatic about it, but that's exactly how we felt about it. I mean, I want to, I don't want to dwell too much because like my, I didn't want to make you relive it, but I felt it's kind of a necessary evil. There are certain things that I feel we have to force ourselves to watch, to feel that visceral anger once more. And I want to dwell on this because it's important, I feel. Mm-hmm. To also take into account other other people who are in our lives' reactions of this. Kyle Lira said that he literally threw up the night of the election. Um, the next morning, keep in mind he is a drama queen. Oh, he is a well, yeah. But <laughs> the next, but we aren't. But I think I you and I shared something well, where yeah. uh, I shared you and I shared something the next morning where. Um, I, I think I woke up and I, for the first time in my life, I thought, what's the point of get, even getting up? Yeah. That's how bad it was. And when I walked outside, there was just this eerie silence, the sense of shock that penetrated <laughs> the everything. sound of silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a strange day. And I had a, uh, had a meeting with, with a professor that day who lived th- uh, through 9-11 in New York. And he said to me, I don't know why, but this feels worse than 9-11. Um, and that was considered the end of the world, uh, from especially from a New Yorker's perspective. I will, 9-11 brought people together. <laughs> That's true. But then um, it also brought about uh, two disastrous wars. Two disastrous wars. And of and course, millions the death of, of 3,000 so. people Yeah, um, so. on that day itself. But in mm-hmm. the aftermath of 9-11, there was like... and I And I remember this, people like very... Like, you know, we need to come together. We need to do this. We need to do that. Um, of course, evil people utilize that like a weapon um, to unleash even more death and suffering, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. Two unnecessary um, wars. The economy was destroyed in several countries, including ours. Uh, the Patriot Act. Uh, so many things were just so many terrible yeah. things yeah. We're, that I, we're still dealing with. Um but with this specifically, and I know a lot of people, especially people that don't pay attention to politics, they're like, which is most people, which is easily most people. They're just like, oh, you cry babies. Oh, you know, snowflakes. Oh, this, this, that. And I always hear the same thing. And it's like, like, relax, like you're gonna live like, like, look at the, the sun still came out in the morning. Trump is president and we're all still here. We're all still which alive. were words that were spoken by President Obama the next day. Yeah, um, and I guess, I don't know, I just feel like we shouldn't have such a lack of empathy. Um, this idea that, you know, like, oh, you know, doesn't matter who's in, you know, it's not the end of the world. That's not true. Like, for me, it's not the end of the world, because I live and, you know, have a stable place to live you know i have a job i have this i'm able to go to school you know i'm a u.s citizen um you know i have a foundation of people around me that Mm -hmm. love and support me you know all that awesome stuff but so many people do not have any of those things and 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 it's like i always think about like when people say oh like people said bush was the end of the world and it wasn't and it's like for thousands upon thousands of people it was the end of the world for you know the americans that were lied to and tricked into going to a war where they thought you know they were fighting for something that they weren't really and they died for nothing and they died for it and you know the innocent people that are killed every day still in those wars 
on both sides. Um, you know, there's so many civilian deaths in all of this. Several, several um, nations have been toppled, you know, since this. Not to mention the damage he's done, and of course, not not uh, here in the domestic mm-hmm. area where the the financial crisis, the collapse of the housing market, all yes. the stuff that the policies that he pushes. Not that he alone caused it, but he made matters so much worse. Tax tax cuts for the rich and. It goes on and on and Presidencies on. Presidencies matter. You, you the may, attempt to privatize Social Security. People just forget about that. You might like live through it, but so many people don't. Like the the crackdown um, with Trump on immigration, ICE, ICE. Like there are so many stories I've read where people have been denied. Um, What's it called? Not citizenship. Um, when they come to the border and they ask for it, what is it called? Am, uh, is it amnesty? Not amnesty. It's uh, asylum. Asylum. There's so many stories of people denied asylum, um, and they're well, right sent now the back. president is breaking the law. He's yeah. breaking the law right now because he's breaking the the basic um, fundamentals of asylum. And they're and they're murdered. There, you know, there was a story I read. There was a guy. He he came here when he was three from either I don't know some middle Middle Eastern country Afghanistan or something, and they rounded him up and sent him back. And this is a country he's never been to. He doesn't understand the language. He was an American his whole life, and they you know I think I don't know if it was a reporter or whatever found him weeks later in the streets homeless because he doesn't know the language. He doesn't know anyone there. He has no ability to take care of himself and he died sometime after that can we just stop right there and and say i think that's kind of where um you i think you hit a spot where you and i come at it and we and i agree entirely with you that instance of which you just spoke of is exactly uh the the core example why people today lack a substantial amount of empathy and compassion and to me I don't know what it is about me per se, but I've always just had that basic human decency, that basic quality. You were born to, good. <laughs> to, well, look, I don't know about that. It's just that to me, I've always had an extraordinary amount of compassion for those who are not just me and who I just don't know. I've always, to me, had a certain sense of what's fair, what's not, what's right, and what's wrong, regardless of what fucking rules exist or not. And I find it extraordinarily disgusting that many people today take pleasure in the story that you just said. Yeah. And I will say empathy can be taught, I think, at a young age. Mm-hmm. So whether it be your family, your parents, and it may, I might have even been experienced you had as, as a young person um, that affected the way you view the world and the way mm-hmm. you see things that maybe allowed you to garner more empathy than others. But I, I do understand empathy is difficult. It is hard. Um, and I think it's the most difficult emotion for human beings. I struggle with it. I think everyone struggles with it. But I think it's vitally important. Vitally important. And something extremely is extremely lacking um today i don't i don't want to sound like you know oh today we you know and they used to have it back in the old days 
I, I wouldn't say that either. I just think it's something humans have always struggled with. And I think it it's rearing its ugly head in a big, bad way in today's mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, and you can especially see it because of the internet and, you know, the way we're all connected and we see this and we still either laugh or don't care or actively fight against helping. Um, and <sighs> empathy is something that hopefully through this discussion and through everything we do when we talk about here, even if it is just fucking films, whether we like the explosions or not, that we put forward in our everyday lives. Because I really do think that's really important. And I think that starts at giving a shit about politics. And I know it's boring. It is boring. And it sucks. And it's confusing. But I think just caring about politics is the first step towards helping others and becoming more empathetic. I think people, certain people confuse that uh, by having to care about certain politicians. No, fuck them. That's not what fuck it means. Politicians. But, I, but I think it, it comes from the perspective of under people don't realize that politics affects them. And my belief mm-hmm. wholeheartedly is however well-meaning people are, and I, I take no pleasure in hurling insults like these around, but the American people are wholly unaware of the reality that the people that uh, are in the swamp, Washington, D.C., and the things that they do there can affect their ordinary lives. The community that I think you and I belong to, most exemplary of all, is one that exists in its own reality and does not oh at God. all consider the, that the actions of others can also affect the community. And I think I you would agree on that. An anecdotal uh, sort of story to tell you um, mm-hmm. that has specifically to do with this community. Um, but I, I don't think you'll be surprised. Um, my sister, I don't know how she does it. Um, she she was able to look at the um i think it's public knowledge the fcc whatever filings uh, for your s- sake i hope so um yeah it is i'm pretty <sighs> yeah. sure it is oh shit i don't give a shit go ahead yeah i'm pretty sure it is um who to listens see- to this that's true <laughs> <laughs> uh again this isn't for people to listen this is just our therapy sessions mm-hmm. um she was able to look, yeah, this is 100% public, now that I think about it, information, to see um, donations in the valley, like political donations in the valley. <sighs> really? Yes. Okay. Um, Trump? So you see certain people in this con- in this community that we live in mm-hmm. um, with the money to do so. Just so we're clear, um, for those not aware... The community that we live in is most isolated Tatooine. Yes. So it's it's a small border town in the desert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually love it here. It's, it's I didn't a nice say I hate it. I just said yeah. interesting. You know, it's just um, it very much looks like Moss Eisley. Um, so it's like twenty thousand for whatever Republican campaigns 
30,000 for Republican president. And it's like on the dot every year, every quarter, whatever, every whatever. Um, certain people in this community, certain families, you know, they're given 20,000, 30,000, like thousands upon thousands of dollars on the dot to either, you know, conservative presidents, conservative um, politicians, whatever. And I guess it goes from like the highest amount and then Mm -hmm. it says, you know, who it's to. So it's conservative, conservative, conservative. And then, you know, you go all the way down and then you finally get to um, a left leaning uh, donation. Mm -hmm. And the highest left leaning donation in our community came (laughs) from my cousin to Bernie Sanders (laughs) occupation bus driver. $27. $27. Wow. And that was the highest for the left-leaning candidates. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my little anecdotal thing about what you said right there Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i think that's us just kind of describing why this affects us so much um trump getting elected politics in general because we do understand how much it affects everyone else like um this presidents have the power to either save or kill thousands upon thousands of people with simply the stroke of a pen like like that you know Mm -hmm. um so who is in office who the politicians are do matter and this is why we care so much um so this is why i hate you because the very beginning of this film holy shit like the first 10 minutes is literally a play-by-play of (laughs) election night (laughs) and it's like fuck you i lived through election night i saw it i it was no bueno it was not fun and here you are making me live through it again but i will say the beginning did make me laugh and it did remind me because i remember i remember when trump first jumped on the screen because i'm calling you out now too bitch i remember when Trump first jumped on the screen and everyone laughed, they thought it was the funniest thing. They're like, ah, ha, ha, Trump, ah, ha. like, and they, and they played a lot of footage from mm-hmm. news people. You know, they have those little round discussions on like CNN and MSNBC. And it's like, and they're all laughing. Like Trump's not going to be president. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like they think it's the funniest thing in the world. Like it's the same thing as, I don't know aliens coming down and they're shaped like oreos the oreo aliens come and invade us and they're like that'll never happen like they they pushed it aside with that much hilarity and it's like Uh this is not funny guys like this is the future of our president like people will die if he gets in and because of that they would for hours upon hours upon hours on end they would show his rallies because it was entertainment it was funny it brought them a lot of money um but that was leading up to the election but then they showed election night um 
And then that was hell. And I think I got like five minutes in and then I turned it off and then I messaged you and I'm like, I'm not fucking watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I lived this bullshit. Like, this is just torture. What? Like, why? I know, like, spoiler alert, I know what happens. Trump wins because they start off the night. They start off like, this will never happen. This will never happen. And then slowly play by play. It's like, oh, I don't know. Trump won Florida. Let's see what happens. And then it's... <laughs> of course the trump presidency um which still just sounds so funny i'm telling you 80s and 90s movies are forever ruined <laughs> with all his cameos in those films um, yeah and of course it ends uh that that the sequence anyway ends mm -hmm. with uh the photo a picture of donald trump's face on the empire state building and michael moore's narration uh coming in how the fuck did this happen mm -hmm. which you know to, to be fair to michael moore he was one of the few people on tv that actually yes you know said this would happen he said he will win yeah he will win he was one of the few people and again i don't agree with him on everything no but i no. feel he's been one of the smarter people as far as calling out this kind of bullshit and being like, you know, while the, while the rest of you in the establishment are there laughing at the idea of a Trump presidency, I am telling you, I know these people, especially, you know, in the Midwest, you know, the very people he would need to win, they will vote him in. <laughs> this isn't a joke. Um, and yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. And then the film's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, from there, um, this was actually the most interesting tidbit to me. This, mm -hmm. and I never researched it to see if it's entirely true, because I will say this. Um, I love documentaries. Documentaries should still be questioned. They are oh, not. Yeah. They are not fact, especially the polit the political ones that have especially. a very slanted point of view. That that's that's beyond. You know? Yeah, Michael Moore has always very much approached his shit with a very slanted point of view. That's his like, style, you know. Mm -hmm, that's his style. He's very much giving you an emotional story, and I think that's why he's been successful. Mm -hmm. One of the most successful, I think, documentarians, because. He makes it cinematic. He makes it emotional. He makes it engaging. But because of that, it can come off sometimes like, well, you know, is this, am I, you know, is this just some partisan shit being thrown at me? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I can understand how some people might approach this film skeptical. And you should. You should approach everything, especially documentary films, skeptical because they are telling they're selling you a story, not necessarily fact. If they're mm -hmm. selling you fact, you know, go read a history book or something like that. Um so with this story, but this is the story I found most interesting and hilarious is the reason for why he ran for president. Yeah. Can you tell it? Because I think you tell it better. And I don't remember every little thing. Well, the way that Michael Moore presents it is that this is all Gwen Stefani's fault. Because if you remember I back in... I felt that 20... from the beginning, but now I have a reason. In it. 2015, <laughs> in 2015, when President Trump launched, um, there was a scuffle going on. Apparently, he was frustrated with the, the, the reality that 
Donald Trump at that point was an employee of NBC for The Apprentice that was on, you know, that network. And apparently Michael Moore's uh, uh, framing of this is that he was jealous that Gwen Stefani was getting uh, paid a higher salary than Trump was, you know, from the same network. And so because of that, he announced a fake if you watch that, it's obviously a fake uh, announcement. <laughs> he had paid people there with T-shirts or whatever, and he had them cheering um, at Trump Tower, I believe. Um, and the whole point of this was he, that he was going to do this as a publicity stunt to get, you know, a higher salary, um, not because he needs the money, but because of his ego. Um, and because of how disastrous the real him was, he was immediately, I believe, fired, uh, or NBC cut ties with him and it backfired entirely. Um, and the way that Michael Moore presents it is that, uh, his family encouraged him to stick with the two and only two rallies that, um, that he had already booked. And I think that forever changed the course of history because the way that Michael Moore presents it is that that's when Donald Trump became... Uh, convinced that hey this might be a lot of fun when he first walks out to that rally there's thousands of people there and he's like unbelievable unbelievable and then the th thing we all know about donald trump is the only thing i that we both uh, peter and i think that gets a kick out of him is getting to do do these rallies you know he's a 70 plus year old man and he goes to these rallies and he's worshipped as a god he's treated like a rock star like i feel like many people would agree that this is what gives him like his rocket fuel power or whatever um this is what he lives and does this for and why he went into politics aside from you know wanting to gain more money um but this is the way that michael moore presents it is that that's what ended up convincing him to stick with it and it's all gwen stefani's fault yeah yeah, I think I think Gwen needs to be put on blast more. <laughs> but it's like, it's ridiculous, right? But like it knowing, but how Trump works though, is it ridiculous? It makes perfect that, sense. It makes so much perfect sense because we've seen how, especially, he really does not like it when. Um, well, let's just say he's very antagonistic toward women. Yeah, women especially, I would say. Get a reaction out of him that nobody else gets. So that's kind of uh, one of the first things that Michael Moore throws at you. And the thing about the film in general, it's, you know, it's, I maybe, I don't know if it was the trailers, but the it was sold as a film about Donald Trump and the Trump presidency, and it is that. But it's so much more than just that. And that's why I feel the, the, the movie works better is that it's it's a film about um, the system less so than just the symptom of the system, and again, and, and it transitions from how the election night recap to going into some, I'll admit, entertaining Trump speculation. There's a weird thing with Ivanka in there that was just you know, I guess I guess you consider it fan service for leftists. I don't know. Yeah, there was a, there was just a bit like a little bit of like trashing. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, there was a there was a wonderful little interlude there with uh, when Michael Moore met Trump and they were on the Roseanne show years mm -hmm. and years ago, um, and then it goes into 
the Flint water crisis, the teacher protests in West Virginia. Um, it covers the uh, March for Our Lives kids uh, that, that began after Parkland. It, you see AOC and Rashida Tlaib in there. It even gets into a retrospective about how the Democratic Party screwed over Bernie Sanders and the people that voted for him mm-hmm. in 2016. And so what I feel what's interesting is that it's a condemnation not just of Trump, but especially more the political system and both sides of it. It's not just trashing on the GOP. It's also trashing on the on the Democratic Democrats uh, and and really judging them for the huge mistakes that were made that also you know caused Trump to be elected in the first place. They they very much I think allowed this to happen. I think there are very big cause in this. Not that they wanted it, but it's their ineptitude and incompetence that Mm. you know led paved the way for it. Yeah, and 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 this isn't just like you know oh you know this just happened all of a sudden you know this is build up over years and years and Mm -hmm. years. Um, I you know I've said this. The right in this country, at least the politicians, are very the. I'll say this about conservative politicians: they're good. Oh they're yeah, very good at yeah. um getting what they want. They're effective. They're effective. politicians. You know, they're very effective, and they have um been effective at pushing the political um not spectrum because I think for the most part, this country, you know, you look at each poll and they say like how do you like um how would you like this certain um you know medicare for all how would you like this how would you like that the point is the country is very left-leaning and Mm -hmm. and michael moore brilliantly shows off here why it's very left-leaning the problem which he also points out is that the republicans are very effective at keeping control by keeping people first of all many people don't even vote and mm-hmm. the less people vote, the more they have a higher chance of winning. Then, of course, they engage in tactics like voter suppression and redistricting and gerrymandering on top of other issues like the Electoral College example is also a condemnation of the Electoral College in this movie. Yeah. So a lot um, of it, which benefits Republicans because Hillary Clinton was what, the second one in the last five elections that won the popular vote but didn't win the Electoral College? Like out of the last four, four out of the last five elections... Um, de- Democrats have won the popular vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that and it wasn't not... close. I feel in in most of those. I mean, Al mm-hmm. Gore would be president if not for Electoral College yeah. or the the right wing Supreme Court. I should Some say. would argue either way, he still would have been <laughs> yeah president. Yeah, um, that was very much stolen from him. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I. This is a buildup. Like I was saying before, they've. The Democrats in this country, have, I don't feel, have done the best in representing the needs of their constituents. They've allowed conservatives to push them and push them and push the Overton window further to the right as far as politics in D.C. Mm-hmm. And Democrats are, I, I'm, they've been very weak. They've been unbelievably weak. And... It's gotten to, to the point where a major not a major candidate for the Democratic nomination in 2020 said just this week they'd be open to consider a Republican on their ticket. No That's how weak they are. Would ever say that None. about the other way? No, I don't None. know. Um, and it's this thing of where you had Hillary Clinton, regardless of how you feel about her, she's a powerhouse. She's a powerhouse. 
Mm. She's one of the biggest names in politics has so many deep connections. It has such a, is such a well-known name. Like she is entrenched in it. Um, like I said, she is the definition of a powerhouse in the political world, um, in the world in general. And she could not win an election against a reality TV star. <laughs> a like, hated racist reality TV star. Yes. At best, that's the way you can put it to him. No, I mean, I, I go even further. I think she was the embodiment of a powerhouse in terms of how conventional politics would work. That doesn't happen on accident. No, it doesn't. Of course it not. It doesn't. And, and, and this film very much does explore that. And I know a lot of people on the left, they'll be like, well, but Russia, but, you know, meddling and da-da-da-da-da. They did do Doesn't that. the movie open? Didn't Michael Moore open the, the movie saying, yes, it was the Russians? Yeah. And yes, it was this and yes, it was that. But it wasn't. He didn't say mm-hmm. was just the Russians. It was a whole bunch of other things that happened. And I think that's the thing. <coughs> that's the thing, right? Like, we absolutely should be doing everything within our power to make sure that um, other forces in the world, including Russia, are not meddling with our democracy i think that's vitally important i think Mm -hmm. you know as much money as you can spend should be spent on making sure that our process is squeaky clean i 100 percent agree with that Mm -hmm. but it's we can't just say well it was them and then not self-reflect on our own country and what's actually going on on in here and what other factors may have led to that. And I think, like you said, that was the goal of this film. Like, and it's not, I don't even think it was about condemning conservatives because there's, that's no, there's no point in that. There's, mm-hmm. Like we, there, those are people that I don't think you can change. I don't think you can change their mind. Like we've said it time and time again, like 35%, I don't know if it's the country or at least the voting base will, are always Trumpers till the day they die. There is nothing you can de- do or say that will change their mind. Yeah. Um, so we need to focus. I really do believe this on things that we can do, how we approach um, the candidates we choose, how we approach the policies we try to push, you know, just everything, everything. Um, and I do think this film did a fairly good job of looking at and addressing a lot of the failures that led to Donald Trump becoming president. Um, I'm trying to remember, is there any like specific things you want to go over? Like that he really... Um... Well, if we're going to name, I mean, he, uh, in the whole uh, section about the Flint water crisis, uh, I felt was a very overt condemnation of a uh, conservative governance, if you will, because um, that was a, a state in Michigan that was taken over by Rick Snyder, a former CEO of some, I guess, Gateway Computers or whatever, and we saw um, he willfully... Uh, poisoned people and he was never prosecuted so that in and of itself is a condemnation on just not just right-wing practices but also um, the justice system and how we just um, if you're rich and if you're powerful enough you never get to answer uh, for any crime even though he 
he was the res- he was responsible. I feel for many people's uh, poisoning, if not deaths, in the whole thing that happened in Flint, Michigan, which is a disaster that has still not been addressed. And they even it was also a condemnation on the neoliberal governance of Barack Obama, him coming in there like a rock star, not declaring a state of emergency, and then putting on a stunt is really just. What you when you when you realize that what the Democrats these days have reduced to, what they've been reduced to thinking that that's all they have to do, and they not put actually on stunts. And yes, don't it's put just in the a work. show, and it, it, it's really perfect, a perfect example of where we are and how both of the political uh, parties have failed Americans, and why people in Flint don't give a shit because nobody gives a shit about them. Yeah. In, in so many ways, it's a microcosm, and it says so many things at once. This this is what happens when people feel they don't that no one gives a shit about them, then they cease to give a shit as well. And then that's when you have people that don't come out and vote, and then you have other people who have fairly evil beliefs, and you know get very very happy at the thought of throwing children back across the country that they've never understood and putting up a wall and saying bye-bye to people that look different than them, they get very excited about someone like Trump. So Mm -hmm. they come out to vote. And that creates a perfect storm of the 2016 election. Some Um, of the most effective pieces uh, in that section is uh, very effective filmmaking on, on on Moore's part when we're focusing on individuals or, or just, you know, when we're focusing on the face-level reality of the Flint water crisis and how angry it made me feel to where he cuts to, an, uh, I think, a, a former public official saying, that son of a bitch, um, and, and he said it, but we were all thinking it, uh, and how we felt just beyond disgusted, but just angry, angry that, that this is something that actually happens. And I feel that this kind of, you know, is the proof for what you laid down earlier about how politics can cost lives and destroy lives and why, Oh, it's not going to kill you. Well, it it killed them. It killed them. And like, people don't, don't realize this little things like this drastically, drastically affect people affect communities affect look how donald trump groups. has treated the community has treated the the territory of puerto rico yeah they've been ravaged by several hurricanes and he very openly just has overt disgust for them just because i think one elected official slighted him if if, if that i don't yeah. know like he's uh it just shows you time and time again that the, the if you don't have the right person in there, people are going to suffer. Like, how do I put this? Lead in drinking water. It's something that affects many people in this country, mm-hmm. and you do not realize how devastating the effects are. Like, it, it drastically affects your in- intelligence. It changes it your DNA. affects your um, ability your your anger mm-hmm. like there are children who are, were affected by that who are ruined for life 
But not just them, though. Their entire genetic line is changed by it. Yeah. Like, this is serious shit. Serious. And it does feel like people on both sides don't give a shit about it. Because at the heart of it, not just this issue, but basically all of the issues that are talked about in the film, is this question. What have we done? What has been done? And the answer remains the same across the board. Absolutely nothing. Whether it be uh, in the section where we're talking about, there's a, there's a horrific part of the movie where we're seeing actual, I think, snaps or Instagram stories of people, schools being shot up and bodies lying there on the floor. The reactions of people mourning for the loss of their communities. Um, there's some visceral stuff in this film that made me feel um, just so sad and so depressed um, that things really are not just as bad as I thought they were, but so much worse. Um, and the movie ends on a note, which I think is at, at it, it's two ways about it. It is depressing because it is giving us a fucking warning that will be, I think the warning is the next movie we'll discuss at that point. But it also is just a, a tad bit inspirational in the sense that we have a great opportunity now to course correct it. Um, and I felt that he was alluding to someone in particular because a, a section of the movie, of course, is dedicated to uh, showing how democracy just is not a thing that exists because in West Virginia and the Democratic primary, all 55 counties voted for Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton, and yet at the Democratic National Convention, most of the delegates uh, were awarded Hillary Clinton. And that's because party officials deemed it so, overruling the voters. And the point there is if voters see that their votes don't matter, why would they come out and vote? Yeah. <coughs> um, <laughs> it's funny, we didn't even touch on, because the film didn't really touch on it, um, climate change. Yeah, no. Which is, I think, one of the biggest indicators of why now who you put in office is more important than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> I, we're getting into a thing about all these different issues, but if you're yeah. getting back to the film, mm -hmm. uh, what are your critiques of the movie? Critiques of the movie? Um, I people enjoyed... have pe people have said that it's a bit. Um, jumbled and disorganized or not as neatly yeah. put together you could tell he had a lot to say like it's a, a lot of rants lot. in there but i love rants so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very much your style um and it didn't always mesh together as one story right because yeah. yeah. usually i think with docu documentaries you want to tell one story you you want to say and i think he's been able to do that with his other films like capitalism a love story and sicko where Sicko was um, the one where he was tackling the healthcare in the United States. And it's like, okay, you're very mm -hmm. much focused on one subject. And with here, you know, you start with Trump, then you basically, you start with election night, which tells us about Trump, then you're basically into like shit talking Trump. <laughs> and But then you go to like other instances in this country that were really shitty that may or may not have had an effect. Like sometimes it was just like, well, this is something that really shitty that is happening in the United States. And I think he needed 
as far as if the whole point of this film was to show this is how we got to Trump, I think he should have picked his um, examples a little bit more concisely and been a little bit more clear. Because mm. uh, especially with like two hour, hour and a half film, you you need to be more clear. You need more direct lines like from here to here to here is Trump's presidency, you know, and keep it more concise from here to here to here. Well, that is clear um, because I feel we should say like I hadn't thought of that, but then again, I I already knew most of this information, so it yeah. really wasn't a leap or a stretch for me as it would would be to other people. Although I I remember showing this to a friend of mine who's not um politically oriented, but she she seemed to piece most of them pretty uh, easily together for the most part. Mm-hmm. I understand uh, with the criticism that it is a very uh, tacked on with all these different things together. Um, and it may just come down to personal bias in the sense that as it always does, it always does. Yeah. But I, I, I worked for me, all of these little, uh, stories are saying the same thing in a way. And they're saying it's pinpointing essentially what I feel uh, Fahrenheit 11, nine, I think is the, is the perfect story for what America has become right now and what it is. Um, and it's taking the point of view that it's a terrible and bad thing, immoral and disgusting and where we went wrong and where we could be going. Cause the, the film begins with, you know, what happened, how Trump got here, but it ends basically with, um, uh, how democracies and republics collapse. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, you know, effective in that regard, but to me, it works in the sense that they are related in that these are all problems. It may not be as clear in every indication who or what caused it, but uh, it is a condemnation of how bad things have gotten. And it's saying that no one right now in power is doing a damn thing to fix them. And what the fuck are we going to do? And so to my, mm. to my sensibilities, it is a call to action. It's a call to stand up and give a damn. That's true. Um, but a slight negative I would give is mm-hmm. that the film itself is sort of preaching to the choir. Absolutely. But then I again, think. that's that's the inherent nature, right? Of like, of well, these kind of documentaries. Necessarily. It's the inherent nature of Michael Moore movies, though. Mm, kind of. I'll, I'll agree somewhat with that. Yeah. But I think this more so than any other film I've seen, like, he goes in. and I And I think it's because... Him, like yeah. a lot of other people are at a breaking yeah. point where it's like come on people you know yeah. um so it's it's a less like well you know let's see both sides to like this fucking sucks let me tell you what caused it to suck um yeah so if if you come in let's say slightly with any love any slight love for trump this will i don't think this will pull you away from that but then again, um, nothing will, as we, you, you said yourself earlier. Before. For the most part, nothing will, yeah. Especially at this point, um, <laughs> at this point in his presidency, mm-hmm. where we're talking, where I'm talking about right now when we're talking about it, not uh, when the film was released or even made. Um, yeah. So I think you want to do final thoughts? Final thoughts on the film. I think you kind of gave them, right? Yeah. Basically, yeah, I love basically. it. Um, it's a barn burner. Um, if it were up to me, 
I would, and yeah, call it propaganda, whatever. We have so much other disgusting propaganda in this country already. If it were up to me, I'd have every citizen watch this movie. <laughs> You'd force them or they get the gulag. Well, uh, well, yeah, well, I don't know if I'd say that, but let's say I'll have an education secretary that'll mandate viewing and of this educate, movie. Edu- re-education camps. Oh, come on. Let's not take things out of context here. The what education I'm saying system... is you are a communist. Anyway. Well, what I'm saying is that education in this country is also fundamentally broken. Yes. Public schools are broken. Civics classes are being cut at drastic rates. We have states that want to, you know, talk more about the Bible instead of the actual fucking civil war. I, I'm sorry. I'm just going on a rant here. Yeah. Go ahead. Go, just that, that's, that's it. That's why it's just, always difficult when we're talking about politics. Yeah. Just and this is going to be an interesting from month. Fuck pop you. From idea oh to idea God. to idea. Yeah. Hey, it's it's we have a lot to say. Yeah. Um let's scream into the wind. <laughs> yeah. Shit. That is the internet. We will not go quietly into that good night. <laughs> uh, um I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It like I said, it, it's very much propaganda. Mm-hmm. But like most things, I'm not sure propaganda is inherently bad. Um Yeah, I don't think it's inherently bad. I think it's well made propaganda. And again, I agree with most of what is said in said propaganda. Yeah. And it's also like most like the goal of most films, it is entertaining. It is. Um, but I also hated it and I will never watch it again. <laughs> Cause it's very much just relieving a lot of negative aspects of the United States that I very much know and uh-huh. experienced when they happened. And it's like, no, I remember it. I don't, <laughs> I don't well, need see, a film. The, the, the effect that the movie had on me is to just be more, if it was even possible, just to be more bold and be more upfront with my political leanings than anything before. Like to yeah. me, when I saw this movie, I was in the midst of what you would call a conditioning system. Um, I was uh, at a private institution uh, in a journalism program. And we were being told things um, and how, you know, to be objective and to be neutral and all these different things. Then this movie came and I was like, yeah, no, fuck that. I mean, sure, I'll do that, whatever you want me to do to get the grades and then get the the degree. But it's like, I can't pretend for a fucking second that I'm going to be neutral and going to be fair to both sides. When I fucking know the reality is that one side has been at the heart of of horrible evil things that have happened in this country and i'm not for one second convinced myself or talk to any, or convince anybody else that that's not the case so if anything it emboldened me to just push back and say no you're moving and i'm gonna and i had classes where um i was more emboldened to be um and understand it's Washington. So like, there's a limit to how fucking extreme you can be um so <laughs> it was a very uh watered down um push back against i know that i had a professor of mine uh who we kind of bonded in a weird way because we were the only people who actually thought she's a she's a a media analyst but also a professor we're the only people that actually were convinced that the media had a bias against bernie sanders which is ridiculous because most of the people there that were young people and they didn't seem to give a shit whether or not bernie was uh adequately covered or not we had a whole discussion about what when when bernie jumped in the first week in 2020 about um how the headlines were bernie sanders joins a crowded and diverse field and we literally had like a five minute like back and forth whether or not that was biased against sanders and his announcement for the for the presidency which it was obviously um 
Let me guess. <laughs> They're all Buttigieg supporters. <laughs> this will make you laugh. One person in there uh, who is otherwise considered to be a fairly, you know, intelligent young man up until the point where he said, you know, I think a sleeper candidate was going to be Klobuchar. And then to have a bunch of people God around him agree. And I was just oh vomiting my in my God. mouth quietly, obviously. But yeah, I'm sorry. If I was in your position, I would not be able to shut my mouth. <laughs> I feel but that's it's because weird. I can, I can. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know. I don't consider my maybe it is that I do have a lot more self-control than you do in that point. Like at a certain point. <sighs> I, I think don't, when it comes to politics, maybe <laughs> everything else. No, I have way more self-control. Than no, you. well, you know, I think especially with politics, and I think that matters in, in most cases. Where I, I recognize situations where I, no matter what I say, it's not going to make the situation make any worse. And it's only going to throw more bombs. Um, That's true. I I don't like to come across as a fucking jackass or an asshole. And being someone who has come across like that in the past, it, I never go out of my way to be mean to people. And my silence to those kind of comments is just me being kind and kind of like a lost cause really at that point. So yeah, just moving at, on. At some point you have to realize no matter what you say to a person, like you're not going to change their mind in this moment. Like at the end of the it's day, just, you're just going to come off. It's just a futile off, exercise, you know? You're going to come off as a crazy person screaming at them and you will not change their mind at all. If anything, you might push them back somewhat. Yeah. Um, you got to pick your battles. That's very much true. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed the film. <laughs> I was going to say something about what you're talking about with it. Oh, yeah. In terms of what? Um, Oh, fuck. (laughs) I've talked about this before. Well, one thing we didn't mention in this, this, there's also a condemnation in this movie about the press. Yes. And how they covered Trump and how they're kind of responsible, if not more so than anybody else, for getting him into the office. They gave him how they gave him a lot of money of free press. Uh, Billions of dollars worth of of free press. Mm -hmm. And then... Because of the way the press works, and it, this is the way I felt before, but you know, hearing from an insider such as yourself, this very much confirms it. There is uh, vicariously. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an, an insider. Look where I'm at. I'm in Tatooine. I'm not necessarily in the capital any longer. If you were, um, in I've the been capital, exiled by Emperor Palpatine. If you are Empress in the, Palpatine, you took journalism cap journa, journalism classes in the capital. Okay, mm-hmm. that's pretty insider. You, you you had insight to the way they think. I'll put it that way. Well, um, I didn't get in because I had a connection. I'm not connected. I, I, I got in based on merit, which is a surprise. I, I'm, I, I'll just say that. I um, know. My point being, you got an insight into the way that journalists are. are taught. Like, mm-hmm. I'll put it this way. A lot of the people that you took classes with... You know, you, 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 you'll probably see them as anchors. You know, you might see them, you might read stories that they wrote, I don't know, for like the New York Times or some yeah. shit like that. Like you did have insight into the thought process that shapes a journalist. I and... had many of them come in and, and give lectures um, to us, um, which I would say were some of the most mundane and boring things you could ever do, especially some, there, there was a, I had an entire class, which I loved. Uh, it was entirely discussing media and politics. And there were reporters that would come in one in particular who defended the way the press treated Bernie Sanders in 2016, <laughs> saying that we covered him when he announced. Okay, when he announced. Yeah. <laughs> and then he didn't cover him until Iowa in, in yeah. January. So there's that. So, Well, I'll put it this way. You know what's the biggest condemnations? Um, when 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won. Oh, yeah, because they and didn't then, do their job properly. It, it, was, it shouldn't have been a surprise if they were just covering that face that race fairly. Anchor after anchor after anchor is like, yeah. you know, a lot of journalists are waking up having to learn her name and da-da-da-da-da. A it's socialist? Like, really? A socialist? One? What? A socialist took down one of the highest ranking Democratic uh, office holders in the country? What? Social Democrat. She's a democratic socialist, is what she is. But she, but I'm, I'm, I'm using the word that they, yeah, use. that they would use, yeah. But it's like the very fact that you had to wake up and be surprised should tell you that you're not doing your job. And I think the the heart of the issue is this: um, we need a both sides, literally everything. If we're here talking about climate change, we're gonna have an actual scientist that knows what the fuck he's talking about who, you know, has 90% of the science community behind him. And then we're going to have a random dipshit politician from fuck knows where that knows absolutely nothing. And we're going to both sides this argument. That is something the media constantly does over and over and over. And Can over. I give you another example? Um, yeah. MSNBC has frequent biased panels against a particular candidate. For example, there is a disdain among the Hillary Clinton 2016 alumni who have all been hired apparently by MSNBC. There are thousands of them apparently on that network and they bring them on as uh, to adequately and fairly cover Bernie Sanders when they themselves continuously, uh, they, they, they attack him for apparently not uh, endorsing and supporting Hillary Clinton when every one of the facts completely counter that. Well, I remember there was the the one contributor who was just like he makes my skin crawl, like I just even like... know her fucking name. It was Mimi Roca. She's a fucking legal analyst talking about oh, politics. Okay. It was earlier this year, and she said, "I don't know what it is, but Bernie Sanders makes my skin crawl." As like, I just... and I can't pinpoint for you exactly why that is. That's those are her fucking words. That's what she said. And it, yeah, and, and, and that went on on that went yeah. unchallenged. It just was there, and then it was okay. Let's go to commercial. I understand if you bring in people, and you know they're gonna throw their opinions around, but it's like, don't you think you should be like, well, you know that that just tell her like, you know, skin crawl. That's not really an argument, you know. Um, let's 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 get stick to the facts of whatever you know. And I guess my main point is. The number one thing I feel journalists, the media, whatever, should worship more than anything is reality and the facts. The facts. And yes. I think, I, and what I told you is my biggest lesson from being over there with them for a year is that, um, you know, they're, they're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You know, they're mm -hmm. kind, they're courteous, they're gracious, uh, as far as where you come from. And they, but some of, some of the things that I really did, um, pick up on is, they really obsess over diversity and, and identity to the point where they bend over backwards to make sure um, that you're you're heard, which is, you know, is a very positive thing for diversity. No, I think that's, know, that's, that's yeah. not a negative thing at all. Mm -hmm. But um, objectivity and neutrality is, uh, in my view, um, conflated with truth. And with facts and reporters these days are being told that it is far more important to see both points of view than to see what is the, 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 the truth. And I had one of my one of my colleagues in there said to me, it's really hard 
to have a unbiased discussion on any topic when the facts overwhelmingly side with one political ideology. I, and I think that's what media needs to realize is that it's impossible to have an unbiased discussion. Every discussion you have is going to be biased. So what you should adhere to this discussion it, is biased. This discussion is heavily biased. <laughs> um, so what you should adhere to is not to be as unbiased as humanly possible. It's to try to adhere to the facts and to reality as much as humanly possible. Um, so in a discussion in climate change, yeah, you're going to be heavily biased against the climate change existing side because that's just reality. That's just reality. You shouldn't even be having that discussion. Every single time someone comes in and tries to question the validity of climate change, that's when you, as a journalist or reporter or whatever, um, anchor, should come and shut them down and say, well, no, it exists. You know, we're only dealing with facts here. That's, MSNBC I think, used to do job. that with their anchors. They should do that. And, and with every subject, they should do that. Um, it's like, well, no, you can't say that. There's no evidence for that. Well, it's like one of the things with MSNBC, I mean, you and I remember fondly the days of Keith Olbermann, the original Rachel Maddow, Ed Schultz, um, back when Chris Matthews was anything close to being progressive. The networks entirely changed because they were bought out by Comcast. Yep. And all of the progressive voices were completely squashed and and fired. Sank used to be on MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cenk Uger from the, the Young Turks, who is now a political candidate who is being libeled as a sexist, apparently. Um, yeah, he used to be on that network and he was getting good ratings, but then he was uh, let go because uh, he was being too critical of Barack Obama, which mm-hmm. is something you can't do in politics um, for whatever reason. Uh, I know one particular pillar of disagreement with one of my colleagues was um, whether or not Hillary Clinton's endorsement mattered. And I was like, who gives a shit what she thinks? And I, I meant that in the regards of the voters. He meant it in the regards of the political elites and the establishment, in which case he's right. That endorsement oh, would yeah, matter. Oh, yeah, that endorsement would mean everything to them. Yeah. So but we were I just mean, coming at it from different points of view. She lost. That's why I kept lost. saying. I, I, it was even a moment in my class where we were dwelling on Claire McCaskill. And at one point I said, yeah, but she lost. She's a she's a loser. She 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 just got hired on MSNBC to, to talk about politics. Why should anybody listen to her? I said that, mm-hmm. and people were like, just glumly, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. But it, it's all, oh my god, and I say this too, where it's like people that used to be in the Bush administration, people that got the Iraq War and all of that completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And they still bring them in as analysts to talk about foreign policy and all this. And it's MSNBC like, hired former President Bush press secretary Nicole Wallace to have her own show. It's called Deadline White House, where they all talk about is impeachment and Trump, impeachment and Trump, Russia, hoax. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't matter how absolutely wrong you are. You can get it wrong over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But these people's words are still worshipped. Like, uh, you know what? We 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 can do we have this for to, hours. We have to we have to move on. But I want yeah. to say this: like what Anna Kasparian from TYT has said lately is that what it comes down to it is just malicious intent in the sense that the establishment with their allies in the media have effectively been able to bamboozle the American people from dwelling on what failed in 2016 into convincing them that. 
it was Russia, it was this, it was that. We were right, and if we do the exact same thing again, we're going to be right because this president is unpopular and he's a criminal and blah, 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 because they don't want a progressive to be the nominee for the party and they want another establishment hack in there like Joe Biden, who is essentially Hillary Clinton 3 or 4.0, and that's pushing their own agenda, which is why they also spent the majority of 2019 downright ignoring one of the front runners for the Democratic nomination. And I will say this. It's malicious and it's intentional. I will say this. Maybe they're right. Maybe if you get Biden in there, he will win, you know? Yeah, with, yeah, sure. But um, I, I feel differently but, about that, though. But, it, but it, it's a possibility he could win, yeah. But I guess my thing is, personally, I do not want to go back to the status quo. What is the point of enduring all this if all that comes of it is we go back to the status quo? We have an opportunity to create real change here. Yeah. To to push forward in ways that didn't seem possible uh, in recent years. But it's telling that the Why candidates who are proposing chance? real change are being smeared and uh, lied about mm -hmm. by these people in the corporate media. Okay. Okay, the, the first half of our propaganda show is done. Yes. We shall now get to the second half. Um, I thought, because Fahrenheit 11.9 was very much about how we got to Trump, um, <laughs> I I gave you idiocracy, because, mm -hmm. well, let me, um, let me say what idiocracy. It was directed by Mike Judge of King of the Hill fame, which I loved King of the Hill. Um, oh yeah i think it's hilarious in the future intelligence is extinct to test its top secret human hibernation project the pentagon picks the most average american it can find an army private and a prostitute and sends them to the year <laughs> 2505 after a series of freak events but when they arrive they find a civilization so dumped down that they're the smartest people around Holy shit, I just relived that movie right now as you were saying those words, and it just came across to me. This is, um, to me, a highly entertaining film uh, with some pretty apt and smart um, uh, critiques and or uh, predictions for what, exactly, for what may happen uh, in society. A better society film than a, than a movie today that's being praised for acknowledging we have a society oh joker um yeah fuck that movie <laughs> that film really showed us we live in a society by the way yeah. i have not seen it yet i honestly <laughs> i may come back and be like alexis you dumb piece of shit that film which showed have, me i'm in a society which I've you have it. have um, i done that i don't know if you have i'm trying to think if there's a film where i've done that i don't think so but i don't know i may love it um but i just i love the society memes with joker i find them so funny um go ahead <laughs> That being said, this film, um, while hilarious, is also simultaneously horrific. It's only horrific now that we live in this year. <laughs> yeah, in this era, in this timeline. Um, but to me, I think this is one of the most smart, well-made films. One of the most smart? One of the most smart it is. You mean, you mean the smartest? Ever. The smartest. Not the most smart. You see what's happening the, here? One of the most gooder films. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I've ever seen. I think it's a really good film. I've really, really... I, I saw this a long time ago, 
back in the 2000s. When it was made and released. <laughs> probably like around 2000s. It came out 2006. And by the way, mm-hmm. 2016 was its 10-year anniversary. I'm going <laughs> to sidestep that entirely and go okay. on to uh, more about the movie. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, <laughs> I I must have seen it like on HBO or something. And at that point, I must have been more politically active. Um, I've cared about politics as long as I've been alive. Not as long as I've been alive, obviously, but as long as I can remember. Um I think it's because, you know, the family I grew up in and the, the way I was raised. And, like, I distinctly remember 9-11. Like, I remember the day. I remember when it happened because mm, my family yeah. was glued to the television all day. And by and, the way, we were young. We were very yeah. young when that happened. I think I was five or six years old. Yeah. But we all recall. We, we, we have. Four or five. Not just we, we don't we recall the feeling, but there are images that play in my mind. Mm-hmm. That's how. um vivid the memory is of that day Mm -hmm. and then this of course came out five years ago 2006 i must have seen it a couple years after it came out i think it must have been on hbo or something and i remember seeing it and thinking it was funny and it's like yeah it's it's a very and i remember thinking it's a very quaint story comedy about you know try and be better try and be smart (laughs) don't don't fall to stupidity um which is difficult, you know? <laughs> it is. I'm serious. We just look at today. But even on a personal level, it's like, I just want to be dumb. I don't want to have to know about things and read shit and do homework. It fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But looking back and seeing this film and just how predictive it is and all the li- the little minutia of it um, is so breathtaking. Like... The, the opening of the film really I look back on it now and it's like holy fuck like this is hilarious but holy fuck and because if the film starts and it's like we're trying to break down how people got dumber <laughs> yeah and it's like you have this smart well-educated couple and they're like well we're waiting for the right time to have a kid and you know um we're not entirely sure and then you know they put it off for years to the point where they're no longer able to and can we stop right there (laughs) yeah because that in and of itself is is fascinating to me because it i i do think there was a point being made there that's fairly um substantive and that's just something that i always wondered is um in general god some people really, really overthink just about every single thing imaginable. Um, but especially with um, with having children and, and where, you know, where they should go to school and this here and that there. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I am a product of the public uh, system, the public educational system. Um, not a very good one, mind you. Um, and I think for the most part, um, you know, and this, this may sound a bit self-serving, but, um, I feel that the people that I've met, um, in what I've learned is, um, you know, fairly what I needed to live my life as somebody who is, um, 
not only, uh, I would say, competent, um, confident, um, and uh, kind, and mm-hmm. a fair sense of decency, and uh, also a sense of patriotism. Now, I may just be a fucking fluke in that regard, and many people clearly do not get that out of their educational experience. But um, it was fascinating that the point that the movie was making is that while the more, the higher, more affluent elite may be inter-analyzing just about everything and then they never end up having kids, while people who who come from a lower um, income demographic who are, are also lower on the totem pole in terms of IQ just have kids and kids and kids. And as we were just talking about public school, we come from a community that has one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy um, in the entire country. So I may have just disproven my whole point um, if I had a point. But yeah, it's just... The point of this scene is that the, the, the more intelligent people within society very much think through decisions and Mm -hmm. the lesser don't. Um, and I, to me, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that leads to there being less of those, you know, smarter people and more of those that aren't that smart. And they're born into uh, a household that probably doesn't uh, care about those kinds of things. Um, and it, you know, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and higher and higher and higher. And... Yeah, that scene just, I remember rewatching it, just made me laugh so much and go like, holy fuck, we live in a society. <laughs> um, but then, of course, you get to the smaller things. Um, once the our main character... Are you there? Say something. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> Our average uh the hero connection was uh was disrupted for like a second, yeah, um he comes to the future yeah. uh the future of this film, and there's so many little things, like when they go to like the big ass Costco that's like fifty warehouses, and the greeter is just like nonchalantly like. Welcome to Costco, I love you, welcome to Costco, I love you, like that's like the perfect summation of late stage capitalism (laughs) in which this like corporation tries to create this like fake emotional attachment to you that isn't real. Right. It's like perfectly that whole idea is perfectly wrapped up in like a greeter just without giving a shit, just telling you, I love you as you enter their massive warehouse store um, it's little things like that that I absolutely love. Um, is there any like specific things that you think about or? Um, I mean, <laughs> there's so many things in the film that are just there that really uh, embody just how um, stupid people have become. And uh, it made me angry. I'm not gonna lie to you. I think the reaction was anger, and you know, for me, and maybe humor for you. Um, one, I mean, what was it, Dax Shepard? Uh, yeah. When we first meet him in the movie, um, right after um, Luke Evans, I believe, walks out um, and stumbles upon him, 
um, they have these con- these contraptions where you don't have to get up um, to go to the bathroom. Like where he he's actually I think de- defecating while he's eating or watching TV all in three. that thing. <laughs> oh yeah, all three of them. Um, which great, and then of course I mean the the big <laughs> centerpiece of the movie revolves around why it is that the crops are dying, and then you discover that society has been rendered beyond um, idiotic that they were using Mountain Dew. They were using Mountain Dew. Um, It was some other, like, power drink. And they're like, it's Powerade, something, Gatorade, I don't know, something. They were using something like that because they thought that that's what would make crops grow. But they very much imply that it started because, like, that the big business, the owner of that whatever drink, however many years ago, pushed it forward. Like, electrolytes are what plants need. Right. So then they just repeat it like zombies. Like, but it has electrolytes. That's what plants need. <laughs> and, like, those little discussions very much kind of remind me of, like, discussions, like, on climate change and stuff like that. Like when that conservative, I don't know if it was a senator or congressman, brought in a snowball and was like used, holding it up as evidence that climate change isn't real because he had a snowball in his hand. Like just the that level of stupidity when engaging with these kinds of discussions. And then, of course, the president, Camacho, like... <laughs> It's it's not that hard to see going from a Trump to Camacho. <laughs> and how would you describe Camacho? Um, the baddest that there is. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, but he's more likable than Trump. He's so much more likable. But again, it just comes down in this future. It literally is a popularity contest. Well, yeah. Who's the coolest? Who's who's the and, and it's like intelligence has nothing to do with it. And like again, look at sort of again, shitting on conservatives, but the conservative presidents that have been elected, you know. You go from like Reagan, who was just kind of an actor, to Bush, complete moron, to them worshiping Sarah Palin. Then down to Donald Trump. Like every time you think one of their political leaders couldn't be worse, they get worse. And it, it and like I said, it's not, I really don't think it's that far a stretch from Trump to President Camacho. Plus, I like a lot of the dumb humor, it like it perfectly fits me. I think it's so funny. <laughs> like the childish humor, like when he has mm-hmm. a trial. Yeah. And, and they're like, Your Honor, like, he totally did it. Like, just look at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Um, I God. like that kind of shit just makes me laugh so much. And I think it's so funny. Um, and that's what I mean. Like, it's not just like, oh, yeah, people try and use it like, oh, look, you know, 
the the most thing you the thing you hear a million times whenever you talk about the film is like idiocracy you know it wasn't supposed to be you know a documentary about the future you know whatever but i think and it's like yeah a lot of the shit is scary especially looking back and looking at we are now um but i also think it holds together as a film i also think i think it's really funny Mm -hmm. um it's definitely my sense of humor and again mike judge i like mike judge i think mike judge's a conservative too i'm not sure he did king of the hill and i loved king of the hill um, that's the one that's one I would always watch a lot too growing up um, I would love to see they're reviving fucking everything I would love to see a King of the Hill revival during the Trump era oh boy did you ever watch King of the Hill yeah I never saw I would say complete seasons but there was episodes that I watched and I enjoyed like there was one episode <clears throat> where he it was George W. Bush. You know, mm-hmm. he was all gung-ho over George W. Bush and he wanted to vote for him. But then he shook his hand and it was a weak handshake. And it destroyed him. <laughs> He's like, how could I vote for a man with a weak handshake? <laughs> and like, he was literally like going to go to Mexico to avoid voting because he couldn't bring himself to vote for a man with a weak handshake. I'm sorry. I love that. Sh- that shit's so funny to me. <laughs> you know what? I got Hulu. I need to start rewatching some episodes of King of the Hill. I'm rewatching um, Arrested Development right now. Oh, you are. Is that is that why I saw it <laughs> on the Netflix? Yeah. Okay. I love that. That's another show that was just it beautifully satirized the politics of its time. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, but with this, there's something that's within recent years with Idiocracy that I've actually found really interesting, Um, not in a good way, (laughs) is that I've seen a lot of crazy people try (laughs) to claim the film and turn it around on non-crazy people. Like, I've seen like... um, Alex Jones and his people like release videos talking about idiocracy and say like, yup, you know, you know, this film, it's so smart. I'm telling you people, you know, these, it's crazy out there. Da, 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 da. And, you know, <laughs> Alex Jones sent using this and saying like, yup, all those idiots out there, watch out. And, and of course they use it to be like, oh, you know, the liberal idiots uh, to attack literally just everyone else, minorities, trans people, da 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 da. Oh, it's crazy. Look at we're living in idiocracy times. And it's like, oh my God. Like, that's so crazy to me. Like, I just saw a review before we hopped on here. And, like, I know this person is conservative because I've seen, like, their other reviews. And the main message they took away from the film was that. The point of the film is that people got stupid because of the welfare state, because the government took took care of everyone. That's not what they were saying at all. Why would you? God damn it. I I really don't know what it is. I was just having this discussion with Moreno and with Kyle the other day um, about what it is, especially this, this past year in film real quick. 
I, 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 there's a lot of think pieces that are out there that I, I don't understand how you walk away with unless you want to see what it is that you, that you're, you're seeing, seeing in there. Yeah. I, I, no, the movie's not saying that because you just have to watch the fucking movie. That's not what it's saying at all. The welfare state? Get the fuck out of here with that mentality, the welfare state. We've had a class warfare in this country for the past 30 years. God but damn it. What he took away is like when the government, the, the film is a warning about when the government takes care of everything for you and you don't have to do anything. You just sit there and get stupid. And yeah. And it's like, again, I'm all for different interpretations of film. Um, I understand we all bring our own views and biases into film. Yeah. I understand all this. But I guess my thing is like, there are some films that are pretty blatant with what they're trying to say. Like this, like I said, the very beginning of the film, it very clearly showed the intelligent people as like upper class, <laughs> presumably liberal in, in couple compared to like a redneck trailer very much would be Trump supporting people as the dumb ones that caused us the, the, the world of idiocracy. And then like the big speech at the end by, um, what was the character's name? I don't know. Luke Evans. Uh, average Joel, average Joe, colonel average Joe Bowers. Did they even give him his name? I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember his, his, um, final speech was like read a book learn like he like he might as well have broken the fourth wall a la yeah. um cats and then just looked at the audience and said read a fucking book learn something you know educate yourself like that's literally the point of all of this of the film i think and i think it very blatantly does it it's an, I did not see it at all as, oh, the government took care of everyone, and then that's why everyone's dumb. <laughs> like, I did, like, that's certainly a reading, but I did not see that at all in there. Um, But I just thought it was very interesting that I kind of feel like the very people that the film was critiquing, especially, like, the fucking Alex Jones QAnon flat earther crazy fuck conspiracy theorists that i'm sure well, well that's just kind of my thing and i think a little bit of an insight uh, as far as my psyche is concerned or my uh f my politics is mm -hmm. um the as the years have gone by and the more and more we get into i could think maybe following the, the train of thought that you were saying earlier mm -hmm. is I used to think, well, I still think, you know, the, the leadership of the conservative Republican Party in this country are malicious uh, and power-hungry individuals that will destroy the country if it means keeping their power. Mm -hmm. that, that has not changed. In fact, it has continued to be that way. Um, but <clears throat> what I feel has become even more and more clear is Beside uh, the fact that the GOP constituency is uh, racist and sexist and deplorable in many ways, 
they're also as far as many of the um figures that have come out of uh GOP politics like Sarah Palin, uh I would even say Alex Jones and some of this the point of what I'm trying to say is there are some batshit crazy people that um these people like and adore. And we have to acknowledge where we are, where the Republican Party nominated a con artist, sexist, racist, incompetent, um, megalomaniac, authoritarian to be their nominee. And uh, also damn near elected a pedophile into the the U.S. Senate uh, in Alabama, if it not for a higher than usual turnout. Um, so to me, what's not being paid enough attention to is that we have, uh, the supporters of one major political party in this country that repeatedly support, um, people who are against abortion and even including rape, just extremists and people who quite frankly have lost it, um, and are no longer in touch with, um, what people view as rational thought. I well, one of the difficult things about today's day and age is it you can't have a conversation with a lot of these people because we no longer live in the same reality. Like if yeah. we can't even agree on the same reality in which we live, how are we going to have a conversation? How are we going to get anywhere? And I think one of the ways that we move forward is to deny these people their fake reality. Like no. You live in this one because this is the one that's going to affect people. It's going to affect mm-hmm. their lives. Um, so, yeah. Um, we didn't talk much about idiocracy, but <laughs> overall, how do you feel about it? Oh, I, I, I thought it was a good film. Uh, I thought I had great things to say um, in terms of where we're going um, and that they're terrible and uh, we should probably not, you know get uh and and the point where we're becoming the society i'll just say um when we do um well it's not gonna be like this i feel in the future because the format's changed but in the past shows that we've done both films don't necessarily have to have equal time because that's kind of impossible some films there will be inherently more things to talk about than there would be with other movies like I'm still waiting for us to get a chance to sit down and do 10 reviews on films that we've haven't talked about on 2019 um and needless to say anything about the top 10 list but as far as idiocracy is concerned um I also would say that this is a film that people should watch um, just so they can be terrified of what could happen although um my fear is people won't take it seriously uh, the same way they didn't take Donald Trump seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to describe this film, it's like uh, the Lorax, but for intelligence instead of for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very much set up as a cautionary tale. Um, and in, in that, I think it's brilliantly written um, and brilliantly put together. But I'll also add, I also think it's very, very, very funny. Uh, I agree. I agree. It just I, so happened that the, the humor ended up becoming um, a source of anger for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of my favorite comedies because it really does hit 
my kind of humor. I agree I with you on that. It, it's humor. a very good comedy, but I think it also works, and maybe for me, mostly works because of the substance involved in the movie, yeah. Yeah. which is something I wish a film like Joker, you know, a movie that's trying to say something about society, would actually do, but it actually isn't. So, Again, I cannot comment. I have not yet to see the film. I will before our end of the year, um, or 2019, top 10 extravaganza, but... Uh, Got a few more films I got to finish first. <laughs> okay. Um, that was our first episode of Yay! To the Table of 2020. What do you have next week, Peter? I know it was very dark and very political. Mm-hmm. I promise the next one won't be because <laughs> we already filmed it. Um, it'll it, It's, again, political dystopian month. So all month we will very much be talking politics to a certain extent. Um but well, you want to roll out the the movies? Yeah, we'll be I'll, talking roll, about? I'll roll out the films for the rest of the month. Um, there is there is a lot of fun ones in there that I think beyond they're just, less depressing. The, they're beyond less depressing. just you know bitching about politics. Yeah, are, there's a lot more fun to be had. Let me just pull up the list. If I will I say, I think fun. the movies we're discussing next, uh, at least for me that I've seen, are far more entertaining and uh, than uh, you know. Then yeah, then us just saying how we <laughs> we feel the world sucks, um, which is this one. But hey, that's the best way to start the year. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! Um, next Friday, we're going to be dropping me and Kyle's discussion with Equilibrium. Um, we already recorded that. I felt that was a good one. Then the Friday after that, on the seventeenth, me and Alexis will be back to discuss Network. Mm. Um, which Alexis has let me know that he very much enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. And then I will be discussing on the 24th, Dread of Judge Dread fame. Um, this is one of my favorite action films. Um, so yeah, that one's going to be fun. I'm going to talk that one with Kyle. And then on the 31st, last Friday of the month, I will be discussing V for Vendetta with... Mr. Alexis J. Soto. Um, May I make a a request or a recommendation? Sure. You do realize there are other cast members besides me and Kyle, right? For To the Table? Um, that could be utilized for this. Like you have David Francisco, you yeah. have Alexis Moreno. Maybe most interestingly of all, you have Julio Dominguez who doesn't watch movies. Julio won't do it. I know he won't. He won't do it. But but With, if anything, this should be mm-hmm. for him. It should be, but he won't. I know him. He I love him to death. He won't do it. <laughs> he just won't. Um, David and Moreno, that's true. Um, I would have to think up of films that, that would... that That's where it's kind of difficult, where I would go like... Um, this is a film that I think they would like and have a lot to say on it. It would take a little bit more thinking power than with you and Kyle. I'll put it that way on my part to think of a, of a, of a good film for them. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. I'll think I'll try and look for some cause that's true. Um, do you think they would do it? There's no reason to think why they wouldn't. 
Why well, banned them off the show? Last I believe time. I've. Um... <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, I know that somebody else. Well, I know I. Well. I do believe at some point I did record a to the table with Nettie. Yeah, I heard that one. That one was funny. Oh no, not that one. Oh, I met there was other ones that I attempted to release, but the recording went haywire. Oh, okay. So it was one of those disasters that just, just beautifully goes up in smoke. She'd be somebody who'd be good on the show, but mm. you know how that works out. Yeah. She her schedule is always up in the air. Um, but yeah, so January might be uh, our film lineup might be a, get a little depressing. There'll be a little fun in there, but it might get a little depressing. Just this political dystopia month. But February is uh, I won't say which films are there are yet, but it is titled "Feel Good February." So it'll be very different than January. <laughs> It'll be a, a little bit of light to brighten the mood. Um, so yeah, that was our show. Um, I got a couple more things to say. Oh yeah, Alexis um, has something to say. We've got a lot of podcasts coming out. You remind you, Fantasy Fair, the Disney podcast with Kyle and Moreno. They have an upcoming uh, review on Rise of Skywalker. We're going to get into all of the stuff. Uh, I plan on being on it. I'm sure Peter plans on being on it as well as David. Um, that will be the official um, burial of the film. I've left one thing. One thing Star I want to mention: fandom in the last decade. I am a Dune stand now. Exactly. I only discuss Dune. I there. You know, that's one thing that we, we didn't even bring up in any of the reviews at all. Is this subplot with Lando and his daughter? Oh my god. We didn't because even didn't, touch that. Because it didn't exist in the film anyway. The one that was released. Yeah. I legit, so, if we didn't read the leaks, we would have no idea what was going on. That's so No, of funny. course not. And most people didn't do that. So I feel that on Fantasy Fair we'll be on there to discuss more stuff, including the whole fiasco with Chris Terrio. So keep an eye out for that. Also, uh, Peter is also doing another podcast with our own Kyle Lyra called Bond and Beyond. Did Kyle share with you when he plans to drop it? He he said he already dropped the first episode. Um, so apparently I, that's out. <laughs> okay. Well, I asked him on uh, New Year's, and he and I was like, "When are you dropping the first episode?" And he's like, "It should be dropping right now." It's like okay, <laughs> so go look for it. So it should be out there. Bond, what is it? Bond and Beyond. He he. Bond and Beyond, a James Bond podcast. He uh, names Kyle this Lara. Shit. Yeah, yeah, it's out right now. Episode one was okay. released actually on New Year's Day. Uh, Doctor mm -hmm. No and uh, From Russia with Love. It's up right now. Yes, and we will be releasing. Uh, Bond and Beyond episode every week until the release of No Time to Die. And, and in that time, it'll be two Bond films every episode. And by the time we get to that film, we will have covered every Bond film. And then as far as Red Spotlight is concerned, I'll tell you this month will be entirely consumed with catching up on as many films that I'm really just dying at my core to talk about. I want to talk about Parasite, 
Dolomite, The Two Popes, Marriage Story, The Farewell, Perhaps Even Little Women, or 1917, or The Lighthouse, many movies that are going to be discussed. And then also, as the time is, I do believe the Golden Globe Awards are coming up this weekend. And so award season, yeah, award season is going to be highly concentrated this year because it only lasts a month. The Oscars are going to be airing in the first week of February. Oh, damn. um, Which is the earliest it's ever been. So, So a lot of Oscar talk this month. Yeah, it's basically going to be that. Um, So, expect a lot of crapping on the idiotic people who run the Academy, um, which is what I love to do, especially. And then, of course, um, talk of um, the films that we've loved. Um, And I think, for the most part, um, it's going to lead up to if I'm not mistaken, we'll probably have, it'll be all Oscar talk, uh, and then film reviews about certain films that we've yet to discuss. And then I, I hope that by the time the Academy Awards have concluded, um, we will get to a point where Peter Martinez, Kyle Lira, and myself can finalize our official top 10 lists of 2019. Yeah. So in a way, um, us saving it for the beginning of February might be a little bit more appropriate considering how the Academy will have its final say on what the year in film was in 2019 yeah, when Joker wins Best Picture as when Joker predicted. wins Best Picture is that your current prediction? Um, I see it getting some noms but, well, okay, but, but you said that it was so going to win Best Picture though. no, Do you have no, a, no, no, no I, don't I, think, so. I think Parasite's looking pretty good there's so many good films this year mm-hmm. this yeah. one had a lot of good good films we'll see how that turns out um like i said parasite um once upon a time in hollywood for sure the irishman oh yeah um 1917 is getting a lot of love from them little women yep only oh, no they, no it's a period that, piece that one's gotten snubbed oh has it yeah entirely when there's there's other ones that people are talking about too, uh, but I can't remember. I there's so go. many. There's a lot. There's a lot of good films this week. Um, so yeah, that that's our show. Uh, catch you later, people. Bye.